Before we get onto this week's episode, there is something I have been waiting to tell you. I am really excited to share that Motherkind is the official podcast partner for The Baby Show with Lidl GB 2024. It is from Friday the 1st of March to Sunday the 3rd of March at Excel London and I will be there on Saturday the 2nd at 1.30, recording a live podcast with the wonderful Georgia Kasulu talking about everything motherhood. The Baby Show with Little GB is the UK's largest and best loved pregnancy, baby and parenting event. Tickets can be bought online at thebabyshow.co.uk forward slash excel. And if you pop in the code motherkind before Thursday the 29th of February, you'll get your ticket for only £18, saving you £8 on the door. Please do get yourself a ticket. Come and say hi. I would love to see you there. Welcome to Motherkind. It's me, your host, Zoe Blasky. This is the show that's going to help you feel more confident, connected and empowered in motherhood. Let me start by asking you a question. Are you and your partner, if you have one, on the same page when it comes to parenting? Well, this week's guest, Dr. Marta, is a clinical psychologist and she says you don't need to be. And actually, it's completely unrealistic to have exactly the same approach, which is not what we've been told, is it? So she crucially tells us what does actually matter when you and your partner are co-parenting. We also talk about the very surprising insight Dr. Marta had since becoming a mum of two. And she also gives me a personal therapy session to help me unpack why I find my four-year-old's whining so intense. I really hope I'm not alone with this one. You are going to love this episode. Here it is. Oh, well, welcome back to the podcast I was looking back through the archives and we spoke last year didn't we about welcoming a sibling into the family and you just have welcomed a sibling into the family how's it been I just admire my eldest so much because it's been really tough for her but she is in love with her baby sister and she is such a glorious big sister she loves playing with her and she loves spending time with her and we spend so much time kind of praising that about her. So even in the tough times, which there are plenty with my eldest at the moment, because she also started school. So it's like change after change after change. One of the things that I constantly, constantly do is remind her that she is an amazing big sister and that baby is so lucky to have her. And she started to say things which really kind of do something to me. But she started to say things like, I didn't have a big sister, but I had you, mummy. And I'm like, oh, God, my heart. And I'm like, yes, you had me. And your sister will never quite have me like you had me because, and she gets it. You know, I think because she's that little bit older, she's four and a half, you know, like I think it's helped her to kind of make sense of some of this. But I really admire older siblings. Like it's really hard. It's really hard to have such a big, kind of disruption to your everyday. Yeah, God, it is. What what surprised you? Because I know when we talked about this last time, you hadn't gone through this. Obviously, you've got all of your, you know, professional and clinical experience. What surprised you about it most, going from one to two? Probably, it's going to sound really weird, especially now six months on, that I really love the baby. <laughs> is that wrong to say? I love my children. I think 
parents love their kids, but you know, I love my eldest and I, I know, I don't believe in this idea that you like fall in love with your baby straight away. Like I didn't believe that from the outset. And when I had my eldest, I had like a biological like pull towards her. I don't know if I'd call it love, but I had a real like, (gasps) like attachment thing with her very quickly in a way that shocked me because I hadn't really expected it. And then when the baby came, I didn't have that. It was not the same, like at all. And it doesn't mean I love her less, but I, I think I do love her different. I think, you know, that experience of being a mother, like my firsts, you know, my first birth, my first everything, my first baby holding on my chest, you know, the first time you do anything with baby, nappy change, blah, 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 blah. With this baby, it's a first with her, but it's not like, I still remember it. There's still like muscle memory in terms of like changing nappies and all those rigmaroles that we all do. And I think there's something about now at six months looking at her and being like, oh yeah, 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 I do love you. Like, I really love you. That is kind of, I'm not going to say like surprising. Of course I love her, but I don't know. I think it's a, it's a more quiet love. It's like calmer, quieter. I think there was something quite physical about my love for my eldest. Like it felt very, very physical. Like it was in my gut, you know, like I felt it in my stomach. Like I didn't want to be separated from her. I didn't really like other people holding her. I had a real, like real attachment pull to her. And with this baby, it feels a lot calmer. Like I'm a lot more not just relaxed with her, but like my love for her is a bit more chilled. <laughs> Maybe I've just chilled out, but it's nice. It's really nice. I think you've just helped so many mothers because there's two things that I really thought before I had my first, my second, which was how am I going to love anyone as much? And people would say to me, your love doubles. And I couldn't imagine it. But it's true. And also, I think you've just done us all such a service by normalising that the love is different because we're told, I think the kind of societal message is you have to love both your kids exactly the same way, exactly the same amount. And I think you normalising, actually, they're different people. And so, of course, it's like your friends, isn't it? I love every single one of my friends in different ways. And I think you normalising that. I know it's just helped me in this moment. So I can't imagine how much you've just helped everyone else by just giving us that permission. that It's okay to love our different children differently. A hundred percent it's okay. And I'm going to go a tiny step further because of what you said, because people said that to me too. Your heart will grow, like your heart will double, right? I don't think my heart's done that. I think I've grown a second heart for my baby. It's it's not the same. It's not the same heart. It's like either a different chamber or a different like, you know, bit of my heart. My heart hasn't doubled. It's different. I have a different love and it doesn't mean that it's any less. If if that makes sense, it's not about quantity, it's about a, yeah, a different relationship. And I think it is impossible to love your children exactly the same because they're not the same and you're not the same with them. It's a relationship. I love that analogy of your friends because it's exactly that. I am very different with this baby. I do different things. She's responding very different to like feeding, for example, or sleeping or she's just very different. So I have to also be a bit of a chameleon and change how I respond to her because it doesn't work. If I just stay the way I was with my eldest, I'm actually pushing against this baby and it's not going to work. 
It's funny, isn't it, how people say to siblings or siblings often say to each other, how can you say that about our childhood? We had the same childhood and, you know, I'm I'm great. I'm not bothered by that. And it always makes me laugh because I think there's this complete lack of recognition of how different your parents are in their lives, how they are as a parent, what's going on around them, as well as who you are as a child, that you can have three siblings, two siblings in the same home and have completely different childhoods. And there's loads of research on that, actually, in terms of siblings with their parents. And what you said is totally spot on. Siblings tend to have very different experiences and perspectives of the same moments with their parents. And it's to do with individual differences. I know it's it's amazing, isn't it? It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, so for example, taking them on a day out, let's say you take them to the zoo and then when they're older, they remember that day. They remember it completely differently. Like because of their individual personalities, their tastes, their likes, their dislikes. You know, one of them will remember that you got them an ice cream and it was like the best thing ever. The other one will remember they didn't have my ice cream flavor and you told me off for whatever reason. You know, like what they remember is completely different. And it kind of makes sense when you think about it because, you know, siblings are often different ages unless they're twins But even then, they have individual differences in terms of what they like and don't like. And yeah, us us as adults, we have different personalities and different stresses and different like environments when our children are little. Like our house was very different. Like I just said, we're doing some building words, but our house looked very different when my eldest was a baby to now. So their experiences are going to be completely different. And my eldest also like, had me dedicated to her and I had a a whole year of maternity leave. I took her to loads of playgroups. I did loads of things with my little one. Like I learned with my eldest, I don't love a playgroup. So I'm not taking her. So she's not having that experience, you know? So yeah, I think it's really interesting, but most siblings have very different experiences of their parents and their relationship with their parents. And I think it's just so powerful to hear you say that because I think the more that we can talk about these realities, the more it just normalizes. And when we can normalize something, then we can accept ourselves and our experience. There'll be someone listening thinking, oh my gosh, I thought there was something wrong with me, that all my siblings said they had this amazing childhood and I struggled, or the other way, you know, that they struggled and I had this amazing, you know, there's so much shame that can come when we don't bring these truths out out more, isn't there? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think for anyone feeling that way, I would say like your reality is valid a hundred percent. Like it's okay that you had a different experience from your siblings. And sometimes in relationships, family relationships, a sibling stands out for whatever reason, you know, so they might be the one who gets told off more, the one who appears to shine more or whatever. And as parents, I don't think we do that on purpose. It's not an intention, but it can happen when we've got multiple things to juggle and, you know, as parents, we kind of, there are certain personalities and temperaments that we have a more affinity with. It's just the way it is. Again, back to your friend analogy and our kids are not our friends. We don't get to choose who our kids are and how they are. But so sometimes, you know, a little one will be born and their temperament just clashes with yours. And sometimes we need to accept that's them. You know, it's them and us building a relationship together. But our children are who they are, right? They come as their own individual human beings. And 
it's important that we recognize the bits that we like adore about our kids and the bits that we find really tricky with our kids so that we can reflect on how we show up with them but it's normal to show up differently yeah and I think you know I I love your you know I adore your work but I particularly love the the new book because that is what you're talking to a lot which is actually it's our job as the parent to do that little bit of reflective work like you just said asking that question like what is this kid bringing up in me why (laughs) is this kid oh my god I want to just wring her neck three times a day and the other ones aren't it's not our children's job to change and you said you said it but I just really want to underscore it because this has been this whole idea has been genuinely life-changing for me is that is that it's my job to reflect on what that is bringing up for me and what I can do about it but that's quite hard and it's not the norm and it's not what we're taught it's a big job yeah it's a big job and I think most people go into parenting with like lots of positive hopes and joy and excitement about having a baby and then you have a baby and you realize oh my god this is really hard and lots of people say why did nobody tell me this and I often think but we can't we can't tell you because the things that you find hard about your kid are so unique to you like there really is no one fits all and the things that I find really hard now with like my eldest or with my baby are probably not the same things that you found really hard with your kids at a similar age so you kind of have to go through it. But I think I think most parents, when they have a child, suddenly they do start to reflect on parts of their story or history that they haven't really thought about before. And a lot of it is about our childhoods. Like suddenly things will come up in your mind that you had never thought about or really reflected on about growing up or hearing yourself say a word or a sentence. And you're like, oh my God, I remember my parents saying that. Like that happens to me. That still happens to me, especially with my five-year-old. I will say things and be like, that's not me. Like that's not my words. That comes from somewhere else. Like I've heard that being said to me and I'm repeating it. But when we're able to be self-reflective and aware because I think that's what it does. Being self-reflective grows our, our awareness of ourselves. Then we can become more intentional about the words we speak and the actions we take with our children, rather than just kind of rolling with it and feeling like we have no control over what's happening in that moment with our kids. I think the way to take control is not to take control of our kids, it's to take control of ourselves, which is super hard work super duper hard work and I would say more than any theory research anything I've ever done in my career I think it's my eldest at the moment and obviously my baby over time but my eldest has taught me the most about me about me as a person me as an adult me as a me me as a parent you know me in relationship with a child that has taught me the most about myself And I would say that did surprise me. I did not expect that to happen, but it did. Because suddenly the way I communicate, for example, with my partner is so different. And we talk about this all the time. If we didn't have a child, I don't think we would have the relationship we have now, which is a lot better than it used to be. And I I don't think we would have it. I think it's happened because we have a kid. And it's meant that if we wanted to stay together as a couple... And, you know, carry on parenting a child, we had to develop a new a new way of communicating with each other. Tell me about that. That's not the norm. Often 
you know, no, that's goes the other way, I would say we it? found it really, really difficult. We found, which I think is the norm, we yes. found having a baby very, very, very difficult. And uh, because of work situations, we both worked really long hours before we had a baby. Obviously, I went on maternity leave, but my partner worked extremely long hours, used to leave at six in the morning and come back at nine at night during the week, would never see the baby. We'd only see baby at the weekend. And at the weekend, I'm sorry, but he knows this, was absolutely useless. Like I couldn't leave him with the baby because he would forget to change a nappy. He wouldn't know how to change a nappy. He didn't know how to pack the nappy pack. He was like, what do you mean she needs feeding? I don't, I, I don't know. What do you mean she needs a nap? Like I couldn't leave him with her. I couldn't trust that it would be okay. And she would also kind of kick off because, you know, she wanted me because she knew me, but she didn't know him. And it was so hard from that perspective. But then it got really hard from the perspective of us just coming together to parent our child. A lot of our evenings were me just yapping at him to tell him about baby because he hadn't seen baby to show him photos. Of it. it was like having a virtual parent. It was really odd. And then lockdown happened. And lockdown was really hard. But for us, something positive came out of it, which was that suddenly we were all in the same house together. And my husband had no choice but to get to know the baby. And I went back to work when the first lockdown hit. That was me ending my maternity leave. So I went back to work. He ended up furloughed. I mean, what a story. But he became her main carer. And I went off to the NHS. (laughs) I would say now they have the most beautiful relationship. Like, I love it. And I'm just so grateful that as hard as that time really was for us, it was really hard. Suddenly I was the main breadwinner. I was like, what has just happened? Like massive 360. It it did something positive to our family. But one of the things that it also did, which I think could have gone one of two ways, was that me and him had to develop positive ways of communicating with each other that weren't about blaming each other, telling each other off, having a go at each other for not doing X, Y, and Z. You know, why don't you know how to change the nappy? Why can't you pack a bag? You know, all of that and turn into, we're a team and we're not the same people because you don't have identical people in teams. You have different people with different skills and that is useful. That is a helpful thing. We are very different parents to our children. The way that I am with, you know, in terms of my manners and the words I use, very different to my husband. And that is okay. I've had to learn, especially as a clinical psychologist, to let that go. Like he does not have to follow my script. He does not have to do it the way I do it, but he does have to follow certain kind of values that we've agreed on, right? In terms of the way that we want to bring up our child, which we agree. This is this is what we want in the future. We'd like her to be like healthy emotionally. We want her to have positive relationships with us. So that's a really key one. We want her, both of our kids, them, to like us ultimately. When they're an adult, I want my kids to go, I quite like my mum. I like spending time with my mum. Like, you know, I like having a chat with her. I like going to Sainsbury's with her just for the sake of spending time with her. That's what I want. I don't want a child who just comes back at Christmas because it's their duty. I want my child to be like, I enjoy my parents' company. But for that to be true, we both recognized 
realize that there are certain things that when we do them mean that we are like rupturing that bit and over lots of instances that will get ruptured so my husband's very quick to punish or used to be very quick takes things away punishes threatens you know gets very kind of like I'm in charge which I think is very common for men and when we then reflect and talk together which we still do so we try and protect about 10 minutes in the evenings to talk about our kids but once that's done it's done we don't talk about the kids anymore but we talk about the kids 10-15 minutes maximum and then we move on unless there's something really big going on like they're really poorly or something you know happening but most of the time that's it but what we tend to do in those moments is try and be compassionate to each other so if he's had a really tough time at bath time which used to happen a lot can still happen I would try and be compassionate and say that was really tough tonight like when you gave her a bath that was really tough tonight I heard you get louder and I heard you kind of say right you know for example he's gonna hate me saying this you know if you don't stop jumping on the bed I'm gonna make you sleep on the floor harsh I would never say that But that's, you know, and then, you know, just be compassionate, listening, talking about that, what was going on for you, trying to understand him rather than have a go at him and say, you know, that's really wrong. You don't say that. By doing that, he understands, hopefully, and same because it happens to me too, we both understand that we're on each other's side and that we're parenting our children together as best we can. And sometimes we both snap and that's okay. Because as long as we're repairing with our children and learning from that moment, then something changes. So that exact example, which is a real example, you got to sleep on the floor. A few minutes later, I can hear him say, I'm really sorry. That was wrong. I shouldn't have said that to you. And I'm like, I can still have that chat of that was tough getting her to bed. But I can also say, you did a really good job because he did. He did a really good job. He got her to bed. She fell asleep. And they repaired. They had a cuddle. They read a story. Nothing awful happened, right? He said something in a moment, but it passed. And that's something that I think, as a couple, we've learned to do with our kid, which means we've learned to do it with ourselves as well. Because we argue, we bicker. But if we can go, wait, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Like our daughters taught us to do that, to apologize to each other, to repair with each other. And I'll be honest, I don't think me and my husband used to do that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind.
my experience of this is so linked to what you're saying because I never saw my parents argue. They were arguing. I just never got to see it, which meant that I never got to see what healthy conflict looked like, which meant that I never got to see a repair. So I literally had no idea what healthy conflict. I had two modes. I had like screaming banshee, blame, shame, or I had sort of keep quiet and almost like go into that freeze and not say I had no idea. And it was you only... You know what's interesting? Kids still know when their parents are arguing. Even if you don't watch it, they can feel it, exactly. can't they? Exactly, exactly. It's like in the atmosphere of your home. So then kids are like, something's not right, but I don't know what it is. And when they're really little, the tricky thing is that often they'll go, I did something wrong. And then what happens is they try and compensate by being really good and doing everything okay and trying to pacify mum and dad or mum and or you know whoever's in the house because there's something not quite right but they don't understand it and it's so much healthier believe it or not for you to just argue in front of your kids and then watch watch that repair because then it makes sense to them like oh okay so you're not getting on oh and now everything is fine the calm has been restored like that's the key part that kind of seeing the both and yeah god everything that you said is just so brilliant because we've been sold these myths you know that i think a real like 70s and 80s myth is like you can never apologize to your children it takes your power away and i think our generation are the generation that are changing that for the good yeah, I think our generation is a different generation. I think we're changing lots of things for the good. And I also think that's why we find it so hard because we're doing something very different to what was done to us. And that feels hard. Like anything that we do differently, any kind of change feels tricky. And there's also this kind of pull of wanting to get it really right. You know, I want to make... You know, I want to do it differently to what was done to me, but I also I want to make sure that I get it spot on correct. And, you know, my like the biggest message I can give people is that that's not going to happen because it's not about getting it right. And actually our brains, children's brains through development, don't need you to get it right all the time. Like it's actually a good thing if you mess up sometimes. Like it's healthy. It builds resilience for children's brains. It's important that they see the messiness. So we know that too good parenting can also lead to not very healthy outcomes. So you don't want to be perfect. You know, you don't, you don't want to meet all your kids' needs all the time. No, it's okay. It's okay if they're like grizzling. Like I shared this a while ago and it was so interesting, like the comments that I got back, because I often share things about myself Sometimes I think, I don't know if I should do this, but sometimes it feels like I'm going to just drop it in and see what happens. But, you know, little one was fed. She'd been playing with me. I really needed breakfast. I hadn't eaten a thing and I needed to eat and have something. So I put her on the floor right next to me and she grizzled. She wasn't crying, but she was like, as she does, you know, like, she wanted me to hold her. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to hold you right now. I want to have my breakfast. So I was chatting to her, but not holding her, eating my food. And once I was done, I picked her up. I didn't eat for like half an hour, you know, leisurely breakfast. I did it as quickly as I could, but I still was holding my boundary of, I need some space. And she grizzled and I picked her up, but she was completely fine. She was fine. Of course she's fine. But I know in that grizzling, 
No harm is coming to her. Nothing terrible will happen. She wants something, me, and she can learn to wait a little bit. Like, she can. And this is good for her brain. But when I shared that, there were lots of people saying, I can't tolerate the grizzly. Like, I can't let them grizzle. I would have put her on my lap and had my breakfast. And lots of people were saying, why couldn't you put her on, on your lap? And I was like, no, I could. Of course I can. But sometimes, as a mum, I also need some physical space. I breastfeed my baby. And it can be a lot to have on me all the time. Sometimes I just need a breather. And what I've learned about me, that I really, you know, not everybody's the same, but for me, when I have my space, when I have those few minutes of breathing, that toast on my own without the baby on me, then I'm a better mum to this baby. Like I am much better to her because when I pick her up, I want to, I want to give her a cuddle. I want to hold her. I'm okay to put her in the sling. And now I carry you around, but I just needed to have my breakfast. And I've learned that my needs have to come first because if they don't, by the end of the day, I'm so broken that I can't I can't be the parent I want to be. It's too late. You know, it's so important for us to hear these messages. I just want you talked about um, a lot of people saying they couldn't handle the grizzling. And for me, it's whining. My four-year-old is just, I feel like, you know, when you just get that sense, something big is going on here because her whining is so extreme. I feel like she's been put on this planet to help me figure out what this whining trigger is about because she whines. The other day she whined, I'm not kidding you, from like 9am to 3pm. Oh, and every time oh it was God. half term. So I was with her all day and I was like, stop whining stop whining and obviously the more I'm saying that the more she's doing it because there's there's no connection there so what is going on with me can you just give me a little personal therapy session (laughs) it's normal whining whining is supposed to be annoying like I think of whining as like an alarm and it's an alarm you can't ignore right because it's a bit like a fire alarm if it's going off it's going it's really annoying you want to switch it off and so that's the whole like stop whining you want to switch it off but obviously kids are not whining because they want to either. They're whining when they're like emotionally overwhelmed. And what happens is they lose the ability to use their words and to communicate appropriately. And four to five is like a really good age of when it happens. So my daughter's doing it too. It's really annoying. It's really annoying. And I think there is nothing wrong with you, Zoe. You're just a normal human. I think um, one of the things that I always reflect on think about is how how was your whining accepted or tolerated when you were little often the things we struggle to tolerate in our kids were not accepted in us and so we learned to shut them down and often what that looks like as we grow up into adults is some of your emotional overwhelm will not be tolerable Zoe so what you're probably very good at is hiding it You probably put on a mask when you're with your friends or your partner, even your kids, at times when you're like actually emotionally overwhelmed about something small and it would be a bit whiny, right? There would be a whine from you, but instead you block it because you've learned like, oh, this is silly. Oh, this doesn't matter. You know, I should just push that down, bottle it in. And so when we watch our kids just do what they're supposed to do, 
because they're just being children, right? And it's so annoying. But they're just being kids. So allowing space for them has to come once you allow space for you. But one of the things that like for me is really important is that we start to notice our emotions. We start to accept our overwhelm. We start to lame it. We start to kind of build emotional intelligence for us in a way that probably we didn't have when we were little because nobody taught it to us. And when we do that, it becomes easier to tolerate the whining, still annoying, but it might also allow you to respond to it differently with it like slightly more compassion rather than irritation because the sound is annoying, but your child isn't annoying you, if that makes sense. Okay, the whining is annoying, but your daughter's not annoying. And sometimes I don't do anything other than say, do you need a cuddle? Because you've been making this noise a lot. And I'm, you know, got your water, got your snack, got you the toy, got you whatever, got you an iPad, but you're still doing it. Do you need a cuddle? And often she'll say yes, and she'll crawl in my lap. And then we just cuddle. And just that, that moment of nothing other than connection can be enough for the wine to kind of start to shrink. But you know, I can't tell you how to do it in your house. I I know in my book, I offer lots and lots of strategies, but there is no one fits all. It's about what works for you. And what I've noticed in me is that offering myself emotional space allows me to give my child emotional space because often what I see is I know how that would have been dealt with me as a kid. And I don't want to give you that. I want to give you something else. So in order to do that, I've got to try and see you know, look at you from like that slightly different angle, which is you're a vulnerable little one who is struggling and all you need is my softness and then it'll pass. And then often it does, like it's not a magic trick, but it just does because that the ki- what kids want more than anything is to connect with us. Yeah, I had that this morning actually. She started whining at breakfast and I think because I'd done a bit of journaling, a bit of reflection last night, had an early night, I said to her, you look tired do you want a cuddle? And she said, yeah. And I did exactly, funnily enough, as you're talking about. And it was completely different. Yeah, it's so true that. And this is why, you know, so much of what I talk about is is just completely trying to get rid of this myth that it's selfish to care, care for yourself as a parent because it's the least selfish thing we can do. I think it's an act of radical love towards yourself and your child. And the more you give to you, And the more you kind of grow, the better you're going to be as a parent with your kid, 100%. Well, you know, I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? I mean, linking with this, I think I would give the gift of self-compassion. I think mothers are very good, going back to your friendship analogy, but are very good at being very compassionate with their friends. We always like especially if you've got a close friendship as a mum you will stand up for your friend you know you will tell them no you didn't do wrong it doesn't matter you shouted at them like look at all these other things that you do so well with them every day you know look at all these amazing nurturing ways that you bring up your kid but then we do one tiny little thing we snap we shout at them we say stop whining and then we bully ourselves and punish ourselves all night, like all day, the next day, oh my God, I'm such a bad mother. You know, I'm such a monster. I shouted at them. I took their iPad away. I told them they're a bad kid, whatever. 
and we berate ourselves. We are doing this to ourselves. Nobody else is doing this. And what I wish we could all do is that compassion, that kindness that we give our friends, we need to turn that around and give it to ourselves. We need to learn how to speak to ourselves like we would our best friend. When we get something wrong, we need to remind ourselves. And I love that you journal, but I think journaling is a great way of doing this, you know, to reflect, to stop, to kind of take stock of who are you as a mother, as a parent, because that moment doesn't define you. That's a tiny moment in the relationship with your child, which hopefully lasts a lifetime, right? So rather than having a massive go at yourself or big guilt trip, you know, bully, oh, I'm so bad. I'm such, no other mother would do this. My friend wouldn't do this. Just stop. Like, take stock of all the other amazing things that you do and give yourself some compassion so that you can move on. Oh, you're such a gift. You are such a gift, honestly. I just wish we could blast out this conversation to every mother out there because I really, really think that we need we need more people like you. We need more books like yours, which is out today. Quickly, tell us about the book and where people can find it. So it's called How to Be the Grown-Up, Why Good Parenting Starts With You, because I truly believe that's true. And just as a little note I'll add in here, my daughter wrote the words grown-up, which I feel so moved about because she's like she's part of the book and she's very much in the book because she made me a mother and so I'm you know grateful to her for that and it's available on Amazon and all good bookstores fingers crossed um, <laughs> and yeah it's also available as an audiobook that I have read because I often get asked if I read it yes it's me and I also make little acting voices for the scripts <laughs> if you listen to the audiobook I hope you enjoy it yeah and I, I just I really hope that it's a useful reassuring companion to parenting for people who want to read it I am not trying to sell you something new it's not like a new framework or a new idea it's just I guess I'm, I'm just trying to summarize what we know in terms of evidence base and hopefully share it in a way that makes sense and is useful to people. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm.